Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Natter Dabit. Natter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So for people who are just meeting you for the first time, want to share a little bit about who you are, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Natter Dabit, like you mentioned, and I'm currently working with a new company, Edge and Node, where we are kind of really diving into and investing in the DeFi, Web3, and crypto ecosystem. And before that, I was working with AWS for over three years, where I was running and kind of leading the developer advocacy team for front-end web and mobile, and did that you know, for, like I mentioned, a little over three years. Before that, I was doing consulting, running my own agency and training company, And before that, I was just a a software engineer. So I've done a lot of stuff, specialized in a lot of different things and kind of switched my career multiple times. And this is kind of a new phase for me, this whole cryptocurrency and DeFi ecosystem. And I'm I'm having a lot of fun so far. Yeah, that's really exciting. I think one of the things that, that I really like about you is I've known you or of you for for a good amount of time and just to see the amount of content and energy that you put into helping other developers, other engineers learn technologies as they come out is really impressive. I mean, I know you, you know, you've done a lot with React Native, serverless, you know, a bunch of AWS technologies. And it doesn't really surprise me that now you are helping a lot of developers take advantage of what is, I think, a lot of power that's available to them with Web3 and smart contracts and things like that. What's something that you feel like you have learned over the course of working with a lot of engineers and and teaching them? And I imagine a lot of those engineers might have been, you know, a lot of all levels, some of them very junior, some of them more senior, but how have you learned over time doing what you do? I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that when I approach like a new technology or a new domain or a new field within the existing domain that I'm in, you you often start looking at things and they they seem really intimidating and extremely complex and hard to understand. And I think early on, I was more intimidated than I probably should have been in the sense that I was kind of scared to even start learning because I felt like it was hard to even get to the level that some of these other people were at, or maybe I would look at a code base and become really intimidated. I think that really the biggest thing that I've learned is that almost every problem is something that anyone really can solve and anyone can kind of understand if they spend enough time trying to really dive into the the issue or the problem and understand how to accomplish a certain thing or a certain task. And I think that the biggest thing that I've learned is that with enough time and effort and repetition, you can pretty much understand any area of the field. So I think that it's kind of helped me be able to go into a a bunch of different areas that maybe that I typically early on maybe wouldn't have done. For a while, I stuck with one specific thing, you know, one technology, which was kind of like JavaScript for about five or six years, actually even longer than that. Really, I've been doing JavaScript for a long time. But when I started really looking into, for instance, React Native and then cloud, I realized these are really big, complex problems. But if you just start working at it and learning, you can kind of also become to a level where you're, you know, not only competent with the technology, but maybe even good enough to be able to start teaching and helping other people learn it as well. Do you consider that 
intimidation. That, that, that's a word that you used a number of times. Do you consider that, that there is a way to get over that intimidation? Because I agree. I think I encounter a lot of aspiring devs, junior devs, and there, there's this wall that they see that, from my perspective, a lot of these tools, these frameworks, these languages, they were designed for other people to, to use them, right? They, they have creators, they have teams that, that create them. And those people, they want, they want junior developers, they want other engineers to, to be able to be productive with them. So they're, they're designed to be used. But I find junior developers sometimes look at that and be like, oh, no, no, I can't do that. Like, like almost as if like, you know, thinking of like Harry Potter, it's like they're muggles. And it's like, oh, no, no, no that's magic. I wasn't born that way. What can people like that do to to tone down that intimidation? Like, is there anything that you found? I think it's kind of, it comes with maybe having accomplished that or, or overcome that at one point in your career. And and once you do that, it's it's a lot easier to again in the future. So I think the best way to start, you know, approaching that and, and finding ways to not have that inhibit you in the future is to just find an area of expertise that you want to get good at that is intimidating and, and start attacking it consistently on a daily basis and spending, you know, chunks of your time every day trying to, to learn it and become good at it. And then I think once you kind of do that one time and you're really confident in, in what you've learned in that area, then you kind of start realizing that you can probably apply that same, you know, methodology to more areas in the future and any problem that you kind of come across. Sounds like it's almost like uh building up a muscle or something like that. Yes. Oh, that's a good analogy. Yeah. So, I mean, for for you, like how do you and if that's the case, right? Then then maybe it's it's true that you can't start you know, bench pressing like 400 pounds, right? You know, like, so there is probably some limit. How do you choose, and this sounds like something that you've gotten quite good at, how do you choose the level of scope for learning new technologies? Like, how do you know how to like start experimenting with one of these and what, and not have scope creep or like reach too high or something? Yeah, that's a good, really good question. I think the fundamental thing that you see in most tutorials and stuff is like this idea of a hello hello world, right? So I think really looking at the technology that you're trying to learn and then figure out what the hello world is for that area of expertise or whatever, and, and, and just kind of like attacking at, at a hello world level and then start adding on other things that you logically think might be the next step. So for me, a good example to, for me to, I guess, talk about is since I just did this in the cryptocurrency and Solidity and DeFi space, you could say, or the, the DAP space, is that like I literally had never touched any of this technology just a few months ago. And now I have actually learned enough to where I'm actually able to, to help other people and teach other people. Wrote a blog post that's kind of introduction to this tech that received a little over 100,000 views within the first couple of weeks. A lot of people have said it helped them understand it as well. So I think for me to kind of explain it and, and the way I approach this might help other people. So what I basically did was got excited, got interested in this space in general. And of course, like one thing led to another, I ended up landing a role on a, a new team. But before that, I was you know wanting to learn exactly what is the underlying technology itself. So I started just reading a bunch of blog posts, started finding who, who the influential people are in that area and looking at what they've talked about on Twitter in the last couple of weeks. 
and looked at all of the official documentation for all the related technologies and stuff. And it kind of helped me put together like a mental model of what people were doing and like the, the core use cases. And then the core use case to me was, I want to build out a full stack application that implements all of these technologies and allows me to basically initialize a transaction on the blockchain from a client application and then read the data back from the blockchain into my client app. And to me, that would kind of be a way to understand the full scope of how people are actually building in this space. And, and then I think once you kind of learn that, then you might start applying more sophisticated and more complex problems you know, to that base knowledge. So what I ended up doing was Googling around building a full stack DAP. And what I ended up finding was a bunch of kind of outdated tutorials, or I was finding really good documentation for each individual piece, but none of it was actually fitting together. Like there wasn't like a how to build a DAP tutorial using, from what I understood at least, where the most modern stack of the day was. And the most modern stack to me was what are these newer companies that are like successful, what, are, what is the technology stack that they're shipping? And I kind of like talked to some of those developers and asked them questions on Twitter, looked in some of their GitHub repos, saw the tooling that they were using and decided, okay, this would be a really great thing for me to kind of like learn how to do on my own since there isn't anything out there. So I decided to kind of like build out a GitHub repo, start hacking around and putting these pieces together, got it working. And then just kind of documented my my way through it, and also like that's a good maybe thing to do as well. If you're if you're if you're finding an area that you want to learn, trying to explain it to someone else, either in a tutorial or a video, often makes you answer questions that you didn't even know that you needed to kind of answer. Because when you try to explain it to someone else, it's hard to uh, really do that, of course, if you don't understand it yourself. So you end up having to to kind of like dive down these rabbit holes that that really help you understand things a little better. Even if you're writing it for yourself, you know? Oh, I, I I could not agree with that more. I mean, I think I've actually talked about that on the on the show uh, before as well, and some other guests have said that. I mean, I know personally for me, writing full stack React and, and full stack Node, I mean, these are technologies that I thought I knew really well. And then all of a sudden you're you're trying to explain it to somebody who is starting, you know, from scratch or or you know, close to scratch, and then you're like, oh wow. I don't. I didn't understand this as well as I think I did, and now I gotta dive deeper. It really forces you to to build out your understanding, and it it strengthens a lot of that of those concepts. So I completely agree. The other thing that I really like about this is like you didn't need to get permission to do this, right? Like there's there's nothing stopping anyone from doing what you you did, you know, because you mentioned what you did was. You, you were reading blog posts and documentation. So, you know, you're searching for that. You were looking around to finding who the influential people were, the people that were building cool things and, and finding them and hearing what they were saying on Twitter. And then you came up with a project that you wanted to do and you started building it. And then you started documenting that, writing about it and publishing it. But, you know, in no way... Nowhere in this, I think, did anybody need to like give you permission or hire you or accept you onto a team to do this, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's just so much opportunity out there right now, right? With um, with open source, everything and everyone's learning in the open, and you know, everyone has this, I would say, attitude of of showing their work and and yeah, but there's just so much out there. I think a skill that you do have to learn though is is being able to kind of curate the good from the bad and identify like who's putting out interesting stuff and who's kind of not putting out there. And, 
and it's, it's so wild how many different echo chambers and how many different rabbit holes and how many different communities and how many different ecosystems that are out there that are not really cohesive. They're, they're each individually having their own things going on. So a lot of times you, you start investigating something and you, and you get caught up in this one ecosystem or this one community, this one rabbit hole, and you think that you're actually seeing and understanding everything that's happening, when in reality, there's so much more out there. <laughs> and just, yeah, I'm thinking about like, you can, yeah, you just think that the Shire is like all of Middle Earth, but it's uh, much, much bigger. I don't know the, the right way to ask this, but it seems like you've you've gotten pretty good at exploring different communities and getting a good handle of much more of the universe than than I think other people are. Were you always able to do that? Or do you feel like over time you've been able to do better research or, or be able to find all the different pockets and synthesize a better understanding of the, the greater landscape? I think that like as you become a little bit more senior as a developer and you know your experience a little more, you 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 have really the the good fortune of being an engineer in today's economy and today's world, which kind of really opens the door for a lot of flexibility and a lot of opportunities that a lot of people maybe in other industries don't have, in my opinion. So you can kind of pursue the things that interest you the most. And for me, learning and getting up to speed and, and kind of like diving into a new technology is exciting for me. And if you're a developer and you're someone that can get up and running with something you know, fairly quickly, then it's a lot easier for us to kind of switch, I think, between different domains or different special specializations than it might be in, in other fields because of like how in-demand software engineers are. The I think the reason that it, it is easy for me is because I get excited and I get really psyched up about learning new stuff. So it kind of, it, it drives me to be able to, I guess, learn it faster or more efficiently maybe than maybe other people or maybe other people do as well. They just, I don't know, they don't really um, switch as often. Yeah, I do. I have switched my specialization and like my areas of expertise a lot. I think the fact that it really makes me excited just makes it that much easier because it's not like I am sitting on the bed watching TV or something. Instead, I'm like sitting in the bed, like reading a book or listening to a podcast or reading a blog post about something because it truly does interest me and it, it makes me happy and excited to kind of be learning it. So it's part of like, I would say who I am and stuff. Yeah. Something I heard recently, which is that the it's like sort of like the key to productivity is like the 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 yin and yang of of motivation, like that energy and discipline to like stick with it when you don't have that. Um, but it sounds like you are really good at either cultivating or just maybe inherently having that that motivation and that that excitement, which seems to stem from like curiosity. Or even just, I guess, that that enjoyment from breaking through the intimidation and then realizing that, like, oh, wait, I can, like, build up competence in this thing and then just sort of, like, doing it all over again. And, and <laughs> I kind of imagine, like, there's this landscape of mountains and, like, you climb one. It's like, oh, that was pretty hard, but I'm really happy I'm at the top. And then you look out and you're like, oh, there's another peak over there. I'm like, mm -hmm. going to climb That's down. a really good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> climb down and, like, you know, just, like, climb up this other one. And, yeah, I'm sure in the in the beginning or the middle, you're like, oh, why did I do this? This is kind of tough. But then you get to the top and you're like, that was awesome. So I think a lot of it also is having worked in other fields before software is, you know, a really 
I would say important experience for me because I used to work in service industry and retail and restaurants and stuff like that. And I used to literally like bust my ass working 80 hours a week, 60, 70 hours a week. And I would make like 10 or 20% of what uh, software developers make. So I think I'm also extremely appreciative of the industry, you know, and I'm just, uh, I'm almost, I, I feel the same way I did as I did the first day I kind of like was paid to write code. I just can't believe that I'm getting paid this much money to like write code. It's, it's just something that after being a dishwasher and work waiting tables and doing a bunch of like jobs that I really didn't enjoy um, and, and getting paid way less, it's to me um, and that has never worn off. That's awesome. Yeah. And I love that you're also paying it forward, right? So much of what you do is, is helping other people do those career changes if that's what they want. You're helping them make that. And, and I think a lot of people listening to this show, too, I mean, they they have other careers and then they, they do a boot camp or something like that. And then they're they're getting into tech. I do like I, I wonder, though, is there particular challenges? Do other careers like waiting tables, you know, whatever it is in the service industry, retail or anything like that? I feel like people who come from those to technology, you know, this maybe goes back to the intimidation. Tech moves so fast and it feels like you got to constantly be learning. You can't just be like, oh, okay, like I get this now and I know it, but the landscape changes. Do you feel like that that's just something that people, like some people won't be comfortable with ever and it's not a good career for them? Or is that also just something that you can like learn to appreciate? I mean, it sounds like you are pretty well suited for it, but have you encountered people that that's just not a good fit for them? I'm I'm very much in the boat of the mindset that everything is can be learned. You know, it's kind of like the growth mindset. I'm like pretty sold on that. You may be kind of tuned as a person with your own personality that at first this might be a tough thing, but I think like with enough work and enough practice, really anyone can kind of get there. I don't know, uh, but uh, but a lot of other people and and for their own really great reasons, honestly, might not even want to, to, to do that. You know, like maybe honestly, 50K a year, 100K a year, 25K, whatever it is, is is enough to kind of like pay their bills and make them happy. And I think that's also a really amazing place to be if that's you. And I think it just kind of depends, you know, we're just, I think in today's world and today's economy, as far as like how developers are valued in a very lucky place to have all of these different options, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think the part that I, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but I'm, it's, it's sort of like this bargain. I think being a software developer is an awesome career, kind of like what you say, like you, a lot of myself, a lot of people that I know definitely had that thought like, oh my God, I can't believe I get paid and paid super well to be able to do this all day and also treated really well. Uh, it depends on the company, but so many companies just will really give developers a ton of freedom, you know, not a whole lot of micromanagement and just kind of trust them to manage their own time and work on, you know, within bounds what they want to work on. And I think it's a, a truly amazing career. I think where the bargain comes in, I think there's also this expectation that you kind of like you mentioned, like on your quote unquote own time, you're reading books on this stuff. You are listening to podcasts on this stuff. And that's, I think, unfamiliar to a lot of other industries off the clock, like, and you're not really trying to, to grow anymore. But I think that's, you know, like what I was saying, like, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but I think that's like a good thing, right? Like, because that's what allows, that's what allows you to get into this field. And there aren't really those barriers. You don't need permission. There isn't like, 
you don't need to take medical boards or, or you know, the bar exam to become, you know, a software developer. And so maybe that's the trade-off. What's, what's something that you, what's, what's something that was difficult because you, you mentioned you, you switch careers. What was it like working on a team or like joining a company, like beyond just the, um, the software uh, coding itself? Was there anything that struck you about once you were working on a company or on a team in software? Yeah, I think that the um, the willingness to go out of your way and mentor pe- mentor people and have people that actually like want to help you and you know see you succeed and become successful is really uh, really interesting for me and the community aspect of it. And I don't think I've ever been in any industry where there is such a vibrant and helpful community out there where people are doing stuff like meetups where you can literally go and learn very 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 valuable information and make really valuable relationships and eat eat food and drink drinks for free and all this is literally (laughs) paid for by someone else yeah to me that was just mind-blowing i don't know and it still kind of is i mean i still value that part of the developer community a lot even though we haven't had in-person events for over a year i just remember going to my first one and it was jsla actually when i moved to la for my first developer job i was just absolutely floored by it. To me, that was one of the first things that stood out as, as being much different than anything I'd experienced before. Yeah. I mean, with JSLA, one of the things that I tried to do with the event was set a pretty high high bar, like, you know, audacious goal for myself was to try and bring the, the conference level experience in a monthly free event, just try and repeat that every every month. And I think I think one of the reactions that I did get was, "What? What is this? What's the catch? <laughs> like, why? Why is there free beer and pizza? And like, how are you getting these speakers to like fly in? And like, what are you getting from me? I don't trust this." But you know, the truth is, a lot of the companies and our sponsors talk to the value that they get from good software engineers is so high that providing those things is is comparatively very inexpensive. And then for the organizers, we just love it. You know, it's it's so awesome for us to be able to invite speakers like yourself to be able to meet attendees and hear what they're working on and just be able to talk shop and and have fun on the, you know, on the sponsor's dime is it's just a lot of I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's also just a lot of fun for us. We just like being immersed in it. And yeah, I don't know if any other industries have that. They might. I mean, I don't, but I don't get the sense that lawyers are really doing it like in the same way or for the same, the same love. I mean, maybe, maybe they're out there, but I agree. I think that that is a distinctive feature of, of our industry. Yeah. I mean, I think that the economics of software, it just actually makes sense. You know, like you said, it, it provides value. I think that you have to look at the economics of other industries and, and kind of figure out if it does. And if they are doing it, I don't know either. Yeah, I'm not sure. So you've you've worked on a bunch of different teams, some very you know impressive companies like Amazon. Have you had really impressive teammates, and have you been able to over time just think of the the qualities that you really like in in people that you work with? One of the best decisions I've ever made in my career was in choosing my actual opportunities for who to work with. Is not really focusing on prioritizing a lot of the things that you might typically prioritize like money or maybe even working for a company for their for the name to be on the resume but instead choosing 
people based on the team 100%. That's like my number one by far thing. Because I don't know, it just, I've had, I had bad experiences in the past and I kind of like had such a bad experience that the next job and then going forward, I I just made sure that I was working with people and um, that were, that were to me excellent, like, you know, top 1% of people I've I've ever interviewed with maybe even. And I know that's not something you can do early on in your career because really I was literally taking whatever I could take early on. I think as you progress, trying to really focus on choosing the team as being like the number one thing where it's possible, right? Because like, of course, a lot of people have financial situations that they have to really prioritize. But, you know, once you get to a certain level, I think you can kind of be a little bit more choosy. Literally, the the last three teams that I've worked with have all been phenomenal. And everyone on the team, really, that I worked with closely were all really great people. And they all had their own positive characteristics. I think that one of the things that I really tend to value are people that are, are willing to go out of their way to to help you grow and answer questions and be very humble about how they interact with you. Um, I'm not. I've never had a good experience with anyone with the ego. I think that the that's the one thing I can almost say that I've had almost consistent bad experiences with. So whenever I see someone that's that's very humble but very smart with a track record of success, that all that's always a really great flag for me that this is probably would be a great person to have the opportunity to work with. Mm. So is that something that you can test for that humility or, or is it just sort of like a, something, you know, when you see it, like, how do you, yeah. How would you kind of describe that? Is that, is that just something that you can tell really quickly? Yeah. I mean, when you're interviewing with someone, you know, they're interviewing you, but you're also interviewing them and, you know, you can often tell, I mean, you, you can't always learn this, right. But I think that you can often figure this out just by asking them the right questions and picking their brain and, doing everything you can to find out if it's going to be a good fit or not, because the worst thing in the world is, you know, moving your entire career into a team and then having uh, a negative consequence, right? Like it being a bad team and it ends up being a bad situation and it ends up taking up months and months out of your time and your mental health and probably even has negative consequences on your family and all this other stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, so much of work, I mean, and, and work is so much of your day and and you know your time which you don't get more of it right so you got to be you got to be careful you got to be selective of how you how you spend it uh, it's not really a renewable resource and so so much of work is dealing with people so and man people can have such an effect on your energy like when you're working with good people or people that that you like to be around people like people can give you energy right there's there's plenty of people that you you get out of a conversation with them and then you feel more motivated you you feel more energetic, you feel more capable. Those are really good people to be around. And I feel like there's also just, I think some of us forget or don't notice that there are other people that you come out of a conversation with them and you feel demotivated, you feel less energetic, you feel, you know, you're going to be less productive. And I think those are things to pay attention to. And over time, I think you could probably figure out the qualities that energize you in other people and de-energize you in people. And that that's something that you can figure out for people. So when, you know, you're interviewing, it sounds like that's like, okay, there's an existing team, you know, you want to join. What's that going to be like for me? What about if you're thinking about, you know, bring somebody else on or, or if you meet someone, what are those qualities in them that would make you want to recruit them or what would make you want to bring somebody onto your team? I think the number one thing, the number one quality is the like eagerness to, to learn. 
and, and communication, those two things actually together seem to be really, really important. So if someone is, is coming to the table for an interview, you can't really expect them to know everything. In fact, you can't really expect them to know barely anything domain specific for the work that you've done at your company, unless you're doing like some open source project and they've already contributed, right? The most that you can uh, figure out from them is like their experiences. Have they written React or have they, they've written, um, you know, Express on the back end and they've experienced these technologies? That's all fine and great. But at the end of the day, um, there's going to be so much new stuff that they have to learn and understand uh, for the most part for most companies that you can't really always rely on their existing knowledge. I think the best indicator of of someone being successful on a team is their willingness and their eagerness to, to learn new things and, and how quickly and how good they are at learning. I think like that, that people have talked about this a lot, but the ability to learn and, and relearn and kind of like forget the things that you've learned in order to make room and, and, and prioritize learning new things is, is a, a very important skill and it's going to continue to become more and more important. I mean, people talk about the, the software ecosystem and the front-end developer ecosystem is, is rapidly changing. And it is. And I don't think that's ever going to change. I think people are going to continue innovating. And I think that to order, in order to be a good software engineer in the future, you just have to be very comfortable with that. And I think that that is a good sign of someone that's going to be successful in, in this industry or not. And you also mentioned uh, communication. Is that is that part of the same point? Or are there other ways that you can identify somebody that's got good communication in the, in the way that you, you look for? I mean, you know, everyone has their own, their own traits that are different. You know, there's even people that have disabilities and stuff. So you have to be very careful around um, judging people about how they communicate. Right. So you have to be, you know, you want to be inclusive and, and all of this and, and all of that stuff. So, um, but I think at the end of the day, just being able to convey, convey different ideas to one another is, is kind of like where it's at. And anyone that is able to communicate empathetically and clearly is going to often be someone that's a lot easier just to work with and to get, to get things done and, and get work done, you know? So what would you, I mean, so what's like example of that people who write like blog posts or, or, you know, give talks? I mean, or... writing is, yeah, writing is definitely a, a big, a big thing that if, if you can, I think it's oral and written communication is kind of how you typically interact with people these days, right? Via Slack or email or Zoom or whatever. So I think combining those two things and spending time trying to actually improve your written skills is for sure important. I mean, there's so many different books out there, blog posts, even there's a million things, right, to learn anything. So there's so find the, thing, the ways that you learn how to become a good programmer and, and maybe apply that to communication. So read books and blog posts and videos on how to communicate better and you'll learn a lot. And I, and I still do that and I'm still learning a lot and I have a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. You and me, you and me both for sure. Yeah. So, so definitely what I love about the, the, the three things that I've heard you really, you know, push on, you know, the first was humility and then it was the, the eagerness to learn and the ability to learn new things. And then the, the final one is communication and None of these things really seem to be what I find a lot of aspiring devs think of when they think of really in-demand engineers. Like, I think there's also this misconception uh, that some people newer to the field think that, like, ah, the most senior engineer, the most effective engineer is the one that knows the most languages and knows the most frameworks. But that's not the case. And, and 
you know, the the, the closest thing that you, you said to that would just be uh, tweaking it to be like, no, the most effective engineer is someone who who can learn those things quickly. But it's 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 much more about velocity or acceleration than it is position. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of guess it, it depends on where you're applying and where you want to work. So, for instance, if you want to become a machine learning engineer at Google, you're going to probably have to take some leak code challenges and know mm-hmm. some technical domain, right? Um, and apply that same question to a bunch of the other different companies and and roles. Different levels are going to require different technical expertise. So I'm not saying like for sure that you're not going to get asked this stuff in interviews. But I think getting into and I think people that typically are, are having the most challenges are kind of breaking into the field or leveling up in the field. And I think like the, those are those seem to be the two biggest barriers that people often have challenges. In, in the industry. So that, that getting that first job is just, is really tough, right? For a lot of people, including myself. And um, I think that this is a huge thing for that, being able to, to have these qualities and getting in that first role. They're probably like for a junior role, they're probably gonna, not going to give you leak code unless you're trying to get into Google or mm-hmm. something. Getting into that first agency or that, that marketing role or whatever it is, that, that marketing agency or something that just gives you that foot in the door to become a developer they're not going to be asking you those leak code type questions. But right. once you do have that first job, I think leveling up, there these qualities also come into play big time as well. But I think like once you do want to work for Google or Facebook or even Amazon at like some senior level role, you will have to start focusing on some of the more interview type of questions, which kind of sucks, <laughs> but it is what it is. Uh, like I don't have any control over that. When I used to interview at, at AWS, I actually never asked any of those questions for my for my developer advocacy and front end uh, entry level front end roles. I just don't think that it's that important for at least for the stuff that we were working on. But I'm sure it is important for some people. I don't know. Yeah. What types of things would you would you ask, or what types of things would you look for specifically? Well, for the most part, I was hiring for developer advocates, um, senior level developer advocates. So, some having some type of track record of writing and just showing that you're a good a good writer, being able to do basic programming and JavaScript. So, for me, that would be like understanding how to kind of like deal with a data structure, like an array or an object, and maybe change something in it. Um, understanding a few uh, different array and object methods. So, like with JavaScript, uh, mapping over an array looping over an array, those sorts of things, which I think are pretty basic things if you're a developer at this point. So for a senior developer, um, um, we didn't really have a, a ton of challenges with those types of questions. But if you can do that, you can pretty much, you, you obviously have a grasp of the JavaScript programming language. And it was always great to see having some experience speaking at an event, um, having some type of um, track, track record or history of, of social media communication with people, you know, um, just like having a Twitter profile with like, you know, a few uh, interactions with people showing that you've kind of like interacted with the community, having community and involvement in general is always a, a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, kind of kind of getting getting more into that. What do you like? How would you characterize the difference between a junior developer and a senior developer? Well, that's a really good question, <laughs> and I don't think I have the. Clear and I know those like to... terms are really fuzzy. Yeah, I think it just but... depends. Like, I think a lot of people are seniors, and they don't realize it yet, you know. And they're working these junior mm-hmm. level roles. Like, I, I don't think there's ever a clear path to becoming a senior. I think it's kind of like a frame of mind. Of course, you're not going to probably graduate from from high school and then get a senior role. You might actually, if you've like really killed 
yourself like trying to learn a bunch of stuff i don't know like but of course that does happen right there, there are people there but i think that like the role the the path from junior to senior is not as clear as as um i can even explain it i think it's just more of a frame of mind once you get to the point where you feel comfortable enough understanding the domain and you've had had some experience then start start um interviewing for those senior roles you never know what's going to happen mm-hmm. totally Hey, Nader, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Check out me on Twitter, dev.2, and YouTube. And you can just Google Nader Dabit. I'm Dabit3 on Twitter, but I'm um, Nader Dabit on YouTube. So, yeah, I think Twitter is probably the best place to maybe find the links to all of my stuff. Awesome. We'll put, uh, we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the, the conversation. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. Having trouble finding senior front-end and full-stack engineers? Sponsoring JSLA is one of the best ways to get in front of the best JavaScript devs in Los Angeles. To learn more, head over to js.la sponsorship or send me an email at david at js.la.